right, everybody. Welcome back to the Vast Podcast. So good to have you here. I am here with my still new, at least we're on like on episode three together, still new co-host, the one and only David Campbell. David, what's up? How are you? I'm good. Thanks. You are in England right now on a, gosh, like a five or six week family slash ministry trip. That's correct. And unusually, the sun is shining and it's warm. <laughs> uh, well, I know how you love your warm weather and how in your heart of hearts, you desperately want to be here in California True. with us. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so today we're going to talk about uh, Ephesians chapter four. And before any of the people who don't like listening to our more theologically leaning episodes tune out, we are going to talk about something that is called APEST. APEST stands for, it's an acronym for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher, which is uh, otherwise known as the fivefold ministry, or depending on who you ask, the fourfold ministry, as I suppose shepherd and teacher can be understood as one functional thing. Um, but anyway, there's a kind of growing movement of people who view APEST as characteristic of every single believer possessing at least one of those giftings, qualities. And so it's an idea that's taking root with a lot of people. And I thought it'd be good to talk about, I want to be uh, charitable to um, people that hold to that position. It, it's not where I'm landing on it. I think it does offer up some interesting ideas and certainly it's grounded in a heart to see the church grow and flourish and be effective. Uh, but I want to talk about it um, because it has theological consequence and the ideas when put into practice are done so with an expectation of um, effectiveness and return. And so I think it's important that we have a discussion about it. And there's no one better to have that discussion with than you, sir. So I'm excited to talk about it. Does that all sound good to you? Yep. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm going to read from a particular book that uh, I read, a, I think around the start of 2020, a really interesting read called The Forgotten Ways. The author's name is Alan Hirsch. And he is a uh, missiologist, I think is what he would identify himself as certainly a very smart person and seems to have a huge desire to see the church be effective and has a lot of cool ideas. Um, one of his big things is this apest culture is what he calls it. So I'm going to start out just by reading a, a quote from this book, and maybe this can launch us into our discussion. He says this, that Ephesians 4 and verse 7, and maybe it would be helpful if we uh, read some of these scriptures at some point, Ephesians 4 and verse 7 and verses 11 and 12 assigns the apest ministries to the entire church, not just to leadership. And then he quotes uh, verse 7, to each one of us, grace has been given. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, verse 11, I believe. All are therefore to be found somewhere in apest, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, or teaching slash didactic. I would strongly argue that APEST is an actual fact part of the DNA of all God's people in the very fabric of the church. In other words, it is latent. Let's start there. Love to hear your initial thoughts on all this stuff. I mean, exegetically, in verse 7, uh, Paul is just saying what he says in a different context in 1 Corinthians 12. Grace, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes on and quotes scripture in relation to God giving gifts to people. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he says some things about Christ. And then a couple of verses later, in verse 11, he says, and he gave. 
And so I would read that as being not a development of the first statement. The first statement is a generalized statement that God has given gifts to everybody. But the second statement, and he gave, clearly introduces a different line of thinking. Mm -hmm. So these are specialized gifts. So I think that for someone to interpret this particular scripture about apostles, prophets, etc., as referring to every Christian is uh, not an accurate interpretation of the text. So that's the first thing I'd say with that. And very few people I've ever met, I don't think I've ever met anyone in terms of a Bible scholar that would, would take that view. So he starts with the idea that God's given all of us gifts. Mm-hmm. And then he introduces a separate idea that there are certain specialized gifts. And the job of those is to help everybody else to who that has been given gifts generally in the body of Christ to develop their gifts. Mm-hmm. So the job of these select people is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip people who have all been given different kinds of gifts to draw them together, you know, for the greater functioning of the whole. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two groups of people is talking about here. One is a very specialized group uh, that is under the heading of apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Mm-hmm. And the other of which is the body of Christ as a whole. And the job of the smaller group is to equip and release the rest of the people. So that's that. So I would strongly disagree. Sorry? Could it be possible when when he says, so he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and then verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that's what you're talking about there in terms of there's that particular group of people who are gifted in APEST, and their responsibility is to help the whole body to do the work of the ministry, which is connected to helping them discover what their own gifts are. Is it possible to read that with some kind of understanding that part of that equipping process is training them in APEST? Like, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here, right? Like, if I'm gifted evangelistically and I'm helping equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry, are we to understand that as I'm particularly helping the body of Christ develop the gift of evangelists, of being an evangelist? Well, it, it, see, as we get into the, the whole problem, uh, for instance, I'll il- illustrate it through the uh, office of prophet. Mm-hmm. So the prophetic gift, according to Revelation 19 and 10, the testimony of Jesus' is spirit of prophecy, everybody testifies to Je- everybody who is a Christian is testifies to Jesus and so the spirit of pro- prophecy or prophetic spirit is upon all of us. That's why the Holy Spirit is poured out Pentecost. They all began to prophesy and give praises to God. Mm-hmm. So we're all prophetic, every last one of us. Mm-hmm. We all have the capacity of hearing God because we have the Holy Spirit. So at a broad level, we are a prophetic people. Every one of us can hear God. Now, within every local church, you'll find that there are a few people who seem to hear God and move in a gift of prophecy more so than other people. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And there's actually grades of that. Um, And there might even be, you know, a person in leadership in the church who, you know, has actually become quite profound in the prophetic and God uses them quite consistently in that. But this group in Ephesians chapter four is quite a select group. If we're using prophecy as an example, 
we could talk about different levels of the prophetic with the Ephesians 4 prophet being on a level of their own. I don't like to use this as a picture because it it kind of implies, you know, the people at the top are, it's like a pyramid, you know, people mm-hmm. at the top are more important where the Bible, whereas the Bible teaches that, you know, we live in an upside down kingdom where leaders serve everybody else. And that's the point of Ephesians 4, that the goal mm-hmm. of the apostles, et cetera, is to release the body generally. And I don't like the idea of, you know, releasing people to find gifts because that sounds self-serving in itself. It's releasing people to walk in the crucified life and share the love of Christ with a needy world, and in the process of which we use our gifts to that end. So you can see that uh, when you talk about, when you throw the word prophet and prophecy into the mix, that you then have to define all sorts of different nuances and levels within that. Now, the reason I think that the Ephesians 4 list is a select group, Paul says explicitly at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, are all apostles? No, they're not. The the way the Greek sentence is phrased is expects a negative answer. No, all are not apostles. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Are all prophets? No, right? And by extension, not everyone is an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher. Right. Um, and so, no, um, it's totally incorrect to suggest that every person in the body of Christ is going to find themselves in one of these categories. But it's another example of someone will probably have to forgive me now because I'll offend them. But it's another example of what I call the Enneagram syndrome. Well, that's like, and, that is interesting uh, that you say that because one of the things that I noted in the book that made me uncomfortable on the inside and I'll, and I'll read it to you. you said i view apest as a vocation slash calling and therefore located deep in a person's identity the personal profile also depends to some degree on context we can view it this way we can have primary secondary and tertiary ministries all acting in a dynamic way the secondary and tertiary types both inform and qualify the primary vocational type together these form a certain ministry complex not dissimilar to a personality typing Right. And that's a whole bunch of, I don't know what, hodgepodge, what the guy's <laughs> actually trying to say. I'm not quite sure, but it doesn't sound like overly biblical thinking to me. It sounds yeah. more like some kind of, you know, motivational. And of course, Enneagram is just one example of many. Their personality testing has been around for decades. You know, it used to be the DISC. That was another big example. Mm-hmm. And and then there's, um, you know, the, uh, and... the choleric type, usually with four different types. Uh, and you, you know, on a, a very base level, like I remember t- speaking to a cl- clinical psychologist friend of mine once about this and saying, you know, what value do you put on these? And he, he said, well, actually, there is a bit of value, but I don't put much value on them because it's just very generic. The problem is that that, you know, it's like instead of going to your doctor, you look up the internet and treat yourself and think you know more than your doctor does. Uh, and I just think that uh, when we're classifying people in personality ties, we have to be really, really careful mm. that, you know, are we really qualified? Are we putting people in a box? Are we really accurate? No, we don't really know anything about clinical psychology or anything like that. And so you know, I just think we have to be careful with these things. And I think that that this to me suggests, I mean, I haven't read the book, but it suggests an Enneagram mentality. And for any of you that have used Enneagrams, I'm not saying they're useless. I'm just saying they're 
they're of limited use. Mm -hmm. Don't build your life around what an Enneagram tells you. Um, so yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And I, I certainly, um, find myself siding with your way of thinking. I think one of the things that, um, really settles it for me is one of the ideas that he puts forward that to me does seem unbiblical. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because maybe you think otherwise. So he talks about how, well, here's how he frames what, what I'm about to read. He goes, moving away from the more theological per perspectives, let's take a quick look at the church as a social system to explore further the impact of different, differing leadership styles. When we do this, we discover that Paul's radical plan for the Christian movement is affirmed by current best practices in leadership and management theory and practice. So now he's kind of taking us out of church and into the corporate space. Right. Um, well, let, let's stop right there. Yep. Moving away from the theological. What, is, what does he mean by that? You know, what sounds to me like is let's move away from a biblical perspective and let's see what wisdom the latest management technique has to offer. Well, you know, guess what? Every 10 or 15 years, management techniques change. Right. And, uh, you know, there's common truth probably in all of them, but I don't think it's what the problem is where we're heading with this is let's run the church like a corporation. Mm -hmm. And I see that as a curse in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. The church is not a corporation. It's a family. And, you know, when we have CEO pastors who are, you know, employing staff that are described in the same way as a corporate staff would be or whatever, and the goals become sociological and not spiritual and not biblical, then I just think, you know, we're heading in, into a, a dangerous place. Well, I, I mean, guess uh, I'll keep reading this quote in a moment, but I guess that's kind of one of his thoughts, right? Is like the way he frames up this initial conversation is there's been a divorce in the body of Christ from APE and ST. So there's been a divorce from apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, and shepherd teacher. And he would say that we're in a place where the body of Christ really only values the shepherd teacher um, and doesn't value the ap apostle prophet evangelist. And as a result of that, he says that's that's why we have church systems and structures the way that we do um, that are primarily pastor, pastor leader, pastor teacher led um, versus seeing these other giftings that are latent in the body of Christ. Now, to me, that seems like uh, an overstatement because I would say that in a lot of in a lot of churches where it could be mistaken as oh that's a that's a a pastor teacher run church the reality is that the fruit of the church may be directly connected to the fact that the senior leader or the senior leadership team are gifted in apostolic ways or gifted in prophetic or evangelistic ways i think of good friends of mine i mean a friend of mine has a church up in the bay area and he is as apostolic as it gets when it comes to that desire to just pioneer and and start things. But he is also a pastor and a teacher. So, and if you were to look at his church, you would go, ah, yeah, it fits kind of the traditional mold. But actually, he is operating according to his giftings that God has given to him, and that has yielded a certain type of fruit in terms of what his church looks like. Yeah, well, you see, I think I think the problem starts here with the terminology that we use, right, and. You know, we all know that typically people are called pastors, mm -hmm. you know, pastor this, pastor that. And I, I'm i just a bit of a biblical sort of, I get a bit ornery, I, I guess. But <laughs> um, 
I always ask people not to call me pastor. Uh, first of all, I don't like titles because it implies a religious hierarchy or, you know, even a corporate sort of thing. I think that, and people used to come into our church and say, look kind of blankly at me and say, well, what do I call you? And I said, well, you could call me David if you wanted to, you know. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, you know, I think that the problem then is that you're, people, we use the term pastor and most of the people that lead local churches are not pastors mm -hmm. in the Ephesians 4 sense. Mm -hmm. And we don't even actually have a clear idea of what an Ephesians 4 pastor is, in my opinion. But a lot of uh, people that lead churches are, you know, they, they ha are prophetic visionary type. I'm not mm -hmm. saying they're prophets because mm -hmm. that's, that's something that I think we need to reserve the term apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher in Ephesians for our select number of people. The reason being in the New Testament, they were a very select number of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were only, there, there were the original apostles and then there were a few more mentioned, but they were few and far between. There are very few prophets mentioned. There are very few evangelists mentioned. So why should we think that there were a lot of pastors and teachers either? Actually, the, what we should be calling people that lead local churches is elders. That's the biblical designation. We're elders. And the, the person who leads is, the, if you want to call them something, call them the lead elder. If you want to be biblically correct, instead we call them a pastor. And then we wonder why they're not very caring or sympathetic or they don't run around every hospital bed or whatever. Well, because they're a prophetic visionary or because they're evangelistic and their interest is in people bringing in, or because they're apostolic, or because, you know, they're a good teacher. I mean, I led churches for over 35 years. I don't ever consider myself to have had a pastoral gift. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean I was uncaring? No, it means I had to work hard at the pastoral side of it. It's not my natural gifting. I'm a prof prophetic teacher. So, you know, should everybody call me prophetic teacher David? No, because none of us need a title. It's family, you know. Anyway, uh, I'm just kind of, you know, dumping on this. Up, uh, I, I could go either way on that. I, I think that, that it is a matter of terminology and the way terms change and what they communicate over the years. To me, I don't take any issue with pastor kind of being like the central designation for how we view someone who's leading a church or someone who's um, carrying a, a big chunk of leadership responsibility. Or, um, um, But you have to teach in. Well, I know that because I've been in your church, Pastor Jake. So <laughs> I'm not, see, I'm just being picky because that's my job to be picky, right? But what I'm saying is that what you do and in, in our the church that we're based in, the pastor asked me to speak into this topic a few weeks ago. And, and what I said to the congregation was, release your pastor. You call him pastor. He's the leader of this church, but he's a prophetic visionary. Yep. Release him from wrong expectations of being highly pastoral. Well, what do we have to do? It's his responsibility to bring pastoral people into the mix so that people are cared for, to bring teaching people into the mix so that people are taught. So you can call yourself, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating that tomorrow we should excise the word, you know, cut the word pastor out of our vocabulary. I'm just saying we need to teach into it so that people understand uh, what we mean by it. That's all.
no, I totally agree with you on that. And that's where that was the, the next words out of my mouth um, is that's exactly where I was going. So I guess I, I want to talk a little bit more about how you view APES continuing on today, because it sounds like you still do see those as functioning gifts in the body of Christ that they didn't end. You don't see those as having ceased. Um, but before we get there, I think, it, let me just finish this quote, because I think this does kind of speak to what you were talking about with the corporate mentality. So with that kind of framing of like, let's, you know, put theological perspectives aside for a second. He says, in most human leadership systems, it's acknowledged that there may be one or more of the following leadership styles. And then he lists five of them, the entrepreneur slash innovator, pioneer, groundbreaker, that kind of person, the questioner or inquirer. So like so far, he's correlating these with apostle, now prophet, like the person who speaks truth to power, that's the prophet, the communicator and recruiter to the organizational cause who markets the ideas as your evangelist, the humanizer, people-oriented motivator, this is your pastor uh, type person, and then the systematizer, philosopher, instructor, there's your teacher. So he's acknowledging that in the corporate world, there are these leadership styles that are present, um, personalities that are present. And this to me is kind of like the nail in the coffin for me. And I want to hear what you think about this, because it sounds like he's suggesting that these apest giftings, it's not just that they're latent in the body of Christ in everybody, but they are in some way latent in everybody, whether or not they are in the body of Christ, whether or not they are a Christian, that these kinds of propensities are in everyone whether or not they follow Jesus. That to me seems like an unbiblical notion because as far as I understand it, gifts of the spirit, which Apest would be included in, uh, gifts of the, of the spirit are given to us when we come to Christ. It's like a sovereign deposit of God that he gifts us in certain ways as we come to faith. Not it's not some like thing that was already existing in us that he then gets his hands on and like redeems, I guess, not that he doesn't redeem our lives and doesn't redeem our personalities. Um, but spiritual gifts are another category of thing altogether. Am I thinking about that right or wrong? Yeah, there's an old debate thoughts? about that too. But I mean, I think that to reduce a leadership calling to just, you know, God takes someone that would have done the same thing if they hadn't been a Christian, you know, and were working in another environment and kind of the person gets saved. And now God just takes the whole package and puts it to work in the church. You know, it's like just a a thin veneer, putting a spiritual veneer over what would work exactly the same in the corporate world. Let's right. say, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, when, when Paul said, I am an apostle called by Christ, mm -hmm. um, I don't think he had in his mind that there were apostles out there in the workplace, you know, or in the leather industry, which he had previously worked on. I don't think that Paul would have said, I was apostolic in the, you know, in the tent making leather business. Um, <laughs> I think that that's just, you know, you, you can make up these theories, but they don't uh, hold water when it comes to looking at the Bible itself. Similarly, if one of the primary functions of an apostle, which I, I believe this is the case, is to be a spiritual father, mm -hmm. then you could say that every human father in the world today is apostolic. Well, that's ludicrous. That empties the word apostolic of any specific meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so when Paul uses these words, ap apostle, prophet, 
And by the way, I don't agree that prophet is speaking truth to power. I think that's, in a sense, it's an Old Testament concept, and it puts a political connotation on it. So I don't agree with that. That's just drive-by comment. But no, I, I'm glad you said that, and I would enjoy the, talking the more about that. primary role of the prophet in the New Testament is to encourage and comfort and um, exhort and not build. Uh, so anyhow. Um, yeah, he's seeing it as kind of like a social justice um, yeah, that's a, that's a that's something totally different, and you know, it, let's not go there at the moment because that'll take us away from our conversation. Okay, so let's maybe wrap it up with this. Let's talk a little bit about what each of these giftings are, um, and um, whether or not they are still at work in the church. Yeah, I believe that the job of Part of the job of an apostle, and I see an apostle, the, these are translocal gifts. They are to be distinguished from the local eldership. What is translocal? Two, what, what is that word? Sorry? What is the that local word? eldership is the, the government of the local church. Translocal, uh, what does that mean? Well, it is uh, C3 Los Angeles, for instance. So in C3 Los Angeles, the local church is governed by a group of elders mm-hmm. and uh, I don't care what title you put on on it, but I think it's helpful if we actually try to be biblical in the way that we lead our churches. So, which in the New Testament, the local church was always governed by a plurality of elders mm-hmm. that, that the apostles appointed wherever they went. And uh, I've written about this in my at length in my I have a book called Landmarks. So I've written all I've written a hundred pages mm-hmm. on this kind of stuff on that. Yeah. Um, Which is a great so, book, by the way. Uh, David goes does basically a crash course on a number of different um, core Christian issues. Recommend it. So, well, thank you. But so, the local eldership is, I believe, the highest authority in the body of Christ because God holds the elders to account for the care of the souls that are that that they've been entrusted with. Mm-hmm. So, these the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher are people who move between, in my opinion, and based on what I see in the New Testament of the function of of an apostle, they move between churches, they're involved in new church planning, uh, care for existing churches to equip them, Mm -hmm. and in a way that is beyond the capacity of local elders, elders to do it. But they don't usurp the government of the local eldership, otherwise we get into a hierarchy and Church networks that get into that kind of hierarchy often become abusive. So um, that's what I see. So I would see uh, that within a local eldership, you're, it's wise to have a diversity of mm-hmm. outlook and mm-hmm. gifting mm-hmm. because you don't want everybody thinking the same way. Uh, and it's true that there are prophetic people. There are more visionary people. It's true that there are people who are more evangelistically inclined. There are people who are more teaching gifted, people who are more mercy oriented and pastoral. And the apostolic is maybe the guy that comes in and starts the church or is always wanting to plant out another congregation or whatever. So you, to an extent, I believe that you can see um, those five characteristics in local church leadership, Mm -hmm. but I think we need to be very careful because there's often um, 
and they're not airtight categories. Right. It's not the uh, it's not the sole defining factor of that person. No, it, it, it isn't. And and it's really important that we don't use these or any other categories to become narcissistic in the right. sense of I'm trying to find my identity. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want this is all about me and my gifts. I hate that. Mm-hmm. You know, discover your gifts. I can't stand that mentality. Uh, and you'll have to forgive me again. And I know this is a bit out of context and somebody's probably offended. I'm not I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't try to find out how God has gifted you. I'm just saying that the focus on it is not about self-fulfillment. Uh, the focus is how best can I lay my la- life down for the, for the body of Christ and the needy world around me. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in church in India, they had a, a discover your gifts uh seminar but the kind of gifts they were looking for was who's going to care for the lepers who's going to go look after the or- children that were orphaned living in the railway station well i can go for that kind of seminar you know be- for obvious reasons so um anyhow uh that's that's my feeling on it i just i think there's a there's uh you know there's a curse that that it's just it's a religious default mechanism where people are looking for titles and meaning and identity, and it becomes self-serving. And I don't think that's very helpful in the body, body of Christ. I think we have to see, uh, you know, everything in a functional way. Like it says right there in Ephesians 4, there for the equipping of the saints, mm-hmm. you know, until mm-hmm. the maturity of the body of Christ. Well, we, we're, and, and, and until we're all built up into the image of the Son of God. So that's why I believe there for today, because we're not there yet. We need those mm-hmm. gifts today as well. Mm-hmm. But the goal is functional. It's not that I, you know, like you go to a conference and you see somebody with, you know, Apostle Jake written on his name tag or something like that's what, you know, no. Which you um, don't see. I'm, I mean, maybe you do. Well, I have seen circles, it, believe it or not. Maybe yeah. I just move in the wrong circles, but I, I that's see not this, what we want. I see it a touch differently than you, uh, only for the, for the reason that um, and when I say I see it a touch differently, let me be specific. I think that there is an important, I think that it is important in a local church to help people discover what their giftings are. And here's why. I think that in Western contexts, you have so many Christians who are so on the sidelines and they, the only picture they've been shown of what it looks like to serve the body of Christ and to do ministry is to do task oriented things like playing a guitar or setting out chairs or whatever it is. And, and there's a, I think there's a very underwhelming idea of what it can look like to be used by Christ um, and to, to quote unquote, use your gifts. And so like, if there are people in our churches that God has gifted in wonderful ways that they're not aware of because you know, they've never prayed for a sick person. And so they don't know that God has gifted them in that way. That is a, to me is a, uh, a tragedy. Um, and so I feel a responsibility as a church leader to help people go, well, what has God put in me? Um, and to help bring those things to the surface, not for the sake of the glorification of that person, but for the sake of the, uh, effectiveness of the church. And this is where I can, can get on board with, uh, Alan Hirsch's sentiment in the book. I wouldn't ground it all in apest. I would broaden it to all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and go, yeah, these things need to be talked about and taught on and understood by people. And part of that teaching needs to be what's our motivation. I totally agree with you there. 
100%. And it is so cringy to me when those things go weird and go awry, because you're right. It is, uh, it's just a total bastardization of what it's meant to be. But I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater at the same time. No, no. And, and, and please hear me, neither do I. I mean, I agree entirely with what you said. It's just that I've seen, maybe I've lived too long, I've seen it go wrong, you know, and, and we yeah. just have to be really careful that we're always posturing people to walk in the way of the cross and not in the way of self-fulfillment. Yes. Amen. And as long as we're posturing people, sure, we need to mobilize people. We need to, you know, get people off the back row and into the front row. We need to discern mm -hmm. what people's gifts are. Absolutely. But then to mobilize them in the cause of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Amen. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, this is, we're supposed to have this dynamic, by the way, you're supposed to be the, the, uh, been around the block a number of times, seen some things, and I'm just the young, naive person who doesn't know anything. <laughs> yes, well, you're not that naive, so. <laughs> not that young anymore either. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Last question. Um, so in Ephesians 4, is, he, is, this, is this office or gifting? Help me understand what the heck is the difference? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a description of a God-ordained function. And I think that um, I think that when Paul said in Greek, Paulus apostolos, uh, the word means someone sent by God. It has an Old Testament history and derivation to it. Um, I think he was speaking about his function. I think he was saying, I am a man sent by God uh, with a certain goal, a set of goals. If we lose sight of the function and put the emphasis on the office and on a title, then it that goes to the default religious position, mm -hmm. I right. think. Yes. Um, so I think that if you you can look at somebody and say, I could receive that person as an apostle because I see them fathering, discipling people in the body of Christ. I see them pushing out the boundaries of the kingdom. I see them out Planting in what churches. Paul describes as the regions beyond, mm -hmm. you know, starting churches. Mm -hmm. And and I know people like that. Mm -hmm. I've been privileged to know people like that. There, we probably could do it more than more of them mm -hmm. around. Um, but let's not set up a movement and say, well, we have Apostle A, Apostle B, and Apostle C, and then it just becomes a person presiding at the top of a religious organization, right? Sort of, you know, it's function, uh, it's, it's function, not identity. And is that true for all of them? Prophet, evangelist, separate teacher, and and it's why I think that. Uh, for instance, if we go to an appoint, if we go to an appoint an elder in a local church, then do we, is it us that create an elder? No, God creates an elder. And when you put somebody's name forward, everybody in the congregation says, oh yeah, amen. You know, and if people in the congregation say, oh my goodness, I, you know, then you know, you made a mistake. <laughs> so, uh, in a sense, what I'm saying is the, the body of Christ, the the Holy Spirit moving within the body of Christ you know, if I operate uh, apostolically, then I will be recognized and received that way. Right. So I can go to a church and be received in a limited capacity, or I can I go to another church and be received in a much, you know, a more expansive capacity. And that's fine. Um, probably someone that receives me in a larger capacity will get more mileage out of me than someone in a limited capacity. In other words, I can go to a church and teach mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning, 
I can go in and I can give my message and I can leave. Or I can go in and I can sit down with, like I've just done this last week, we spent two days with an entire extended leadership group teaching, having question, answer, and so on. Because those people are receiving me mm. in, a, in an Ephesians 4 capacity. Is that what Jesus that? means when he says, uh, when you receive a prophet as a prophet, you get a prophet's reward? Is that the Well, that? I think it's a, he's barking up the same tree. I mean, if you, if you, rec- you, you can have, you know, an extraordinary uh, person pass through your midst and not even realize who they are because of your lack of spiritual discernment or whatever. Uh, or you can really sit and say, hey, well, look at, I mean, look at Jesus himself. Uh, I mean, there were tons of people that never perceived who Jesus was that paid very little attention. There were other people that thought, fell at his feet and said, you're the son of God, you know? So Mm -hmm. I guess kind of where we would land is we see Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. These are all different ways of of listing and even categorizing gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of them are to be viewed as something to be compiled, I guess, into some kind of master list. And maybe there are more, I don't know. But rather than seeing the fivefold as uh, foundational and as a broad brush that paints everybody, we're to see it as four or five of the gifts that go along with gifts of faith and gifts of healings and speaking. In well, tongues. they, they are, I mean, they are foundational in the sense that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul says that in Ephesians, but they're not, uh, they're, they're specific and limited. Um, yes. Whereas, so foundational is the wrong word. They're, help me out here. What they're, yeah, it's, we're, we're not describing everybody. They're, they're specific. You know, there there are only a few people that fall into those categories, but, you know, there are various kinds of gifts listed, and you can't just throw them all in and paint them all with the same brush, because the 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about mm-hmm. gifts which are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit that come upon someone in the moment, right? Um Whereas when he's talking about an apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, or in other of those lists that you referred to, he's talking about, let's say, serving or encouraging or something, mm-hmm. or even giving hospitality as a mm-hmm. gift. Mm-hmm. Those are character related. They they describe something that's in somebody's character that God has has taken and and you know and and is using. And so you can't compare their apples and oranges. I mean, there are two di- several different types of gifts that that God talks about. In the Bible, and the the ones in Ephesians four, I would argue, are a limited number of people who travel amongst churches, uh, serving local churches in the extending of the kingdom. They're seasoned leaders with a great deal of experience, Mm -hmm. resources for the whole body of Christ, as opposed to people in local eldership whose sphere of government uh is is far more restricted mm-hmm. um so you know i think probably that the apostles prophets past evangelists teachers of ephesians 4 are all people who have already previously served at a local eldership level and they understand how the local church operates and that's mm-hmm. why they're equipped to serve on a translocal basis mm-hmm. because sometimes we need people to come in 
you know, as, as you know, many of us do, we go into local churches and we provide advice that is beyond the capacity of the local leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, they got themselves into a mess. They don't know how to sort this out or they've got a doctrinal problem. Bring people in with expertise to help. That's what the fivefold ministry is to me. That's good. It's interesting that you see some gifts as grounded in someone's character that God is using, some gifts that are more obviously uh, a manifestation of the spirit, like something more supernatural, even though I don't like using that category, but something more supernatural sounding like healing or miracles. Um, Because the way that I have understood it is that all gifts, whether it's a gift of hospitality or uh, the working of miracles, all of them are deposited by the Holy Spirit supernaturally. Um, it is well, not just God using It's true. Something. It's mm-hmm. true in a sense in that uh, if I have a, a, a gift of serving, for instance, which is listed in the Bible, mm-hmm. then it's not just, it's not just a character thing. It's something, I mean, God has put in me that mm-hmm. I have made myself available to God and I've got an extraordinary ability in that way. So I, hospitality not everybody has that but god the person makes himself available to god and god comes down and powers them by his spirit to do that all i'm saying is that's not the same thing as somebody standing up and speaking in tongues and, or interpreting in a congregation on sunday morning mm-hmm. and one of the principal differences right off the bat is that you're not speaking in tongues and interpreting all the time. Whereas if you're an encourager or a server, you're going to be serving a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. The one is list is linked with justification. The one Corinthians 12 manifestation gifts are linked with justification so that people can speak in tongues, even if, you know, they're the first day after they're converted, even if mm-hmm. there's very little character in them. Whereas someone who's giving hospitality or serving or encouraging or whatever, or teaching is obviously going to be, that's going to be linked with sanctification and maturity. Interesting. So just because, mm-hmm. and of course there are different words for gifts. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not all referred to as charismata, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, celibacy is listed as a charisma, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't see too many people running after that one, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so you just have to be a little bit. Is that a gift of the Holy Spirit? Is that what Paul means? Like, is he talking about celibacy? Well, he, uses the, he uses the same word, charisma. No, I know. <laughs> so it's interesting. I know in John Thompson's book, in uh, his book, Convergence, he talks about um, uh, all the New Testament gifts, and he certainly lists it as, as one. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to examine it in context. Mm-hmm. And okay. it's why it's not helpful to we end our discussion by going back to the beginning, uh, why it's not helpful to, you know, a simplistic analysis right. that takes trends in the corporate world and imposes them on the body of Christ through a simplistic and superficial analysis of what the Bible actually means. That's just not helpful. Right. It really isn't helpful. Yeah. You got to look at these things in context, really get at what Paul is communicating, who he's communicating to, why he's saying what he's saying. Um, That's why we need to- those Fivefold teachers. I was going to say, that's why, that's why we need the teacher. <laughs> to apest or not to apest, we are going to go with not. All due respect to our brother in Christ, Alan Hirsch. God bless you, everybody. Mm-hmm.